0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 79 of the show. Before we dive in today, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor who is helping to make this show possible. Today's show is made possible by Goods and Better Store. Goods and Better is a shop featuring gear and home goods that benefit foster children. Through the Buy It Forward program, your Goods and Better purchase brings some better to a child entering foster care through the partnership with Foster the Family. Use the link in the show notes to shop goods and better today. Well, friends, it is another Thursday and another new episode of the Enlighten Me podcast. This week, I'm sharing an episode that I am extremely excited about. For several years now, I've wanted to do an episode about vaccines, mostly because I selfishly had so many questions. Is it really necessary for our kids to get all the vaccines that schools require, and what is the deal with the autism rumors? But when the COVID vaccines became available and there was so much controversy surrounding them, I knew I needed to speed up my timeline for this episode. So I sat down for two hours with my guest a few weeks back, and we talked all things vaccines. I did not hold back any of the questions or hesitations that I had, and honestly, this is probably one of my favorite episodes I've ever done because I just learned so much. So welcome, Kennan, to the show with me. You'll hear more about what Kennan does as the show goes on, but what you need to know is that Kennan Hutchinson literally studies viruses and vaccines for a living. He's a scientist, and specifically a virologist, and if you ask me, that makes him an expert on the topic at hand. I so enjoyed our conversation because he helped to explain the science behind vaccines in a way that was simple to understand and fun. Like I said, we talked for two hours and this is just part one. We're focusing first on the broader conversation around vaccine safety. So we're talking about things like adverse side effects of vaccines, what the connection to autism is, and what is the deal with the flu shot. Next week on part two, we'll focus in more on the COVID vaccine specifically. And trust me, I had plenty of questions for him on that as well. I do want to note for everyone listening that I'm not sharing this episode with an agenda in mind. This is simply something I wanted to learn more about from someone who actually knows what they're talking about, and I want to share what I learned with you so that you can make the best decision for yourself and for your family as possible. There's just way too much misinformation out there, so I hope that this helps you to wade through that, and that's really in regards to every topic I cover on this show, not just vaccines. But that is my hope with this interview and in sharing it with you all. As you listen, don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show. Ratings and reviews help more people to find the show, and trust me, more people need to hear content like this. You can do that on whatever app you're currently using to listen or whatever browser you're listening on, and that's also where you can find the subscribe button so that you know when my next episode, part two, is available with Kenan. All right, that's enough for now. Let's get to the good stuff. Here is my conversation with Kenan. All right. Hey, Kenan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, can you just start with introducing yourself for the listeners?
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Kenna Hutchison. I am a virologist, which means that I get paid to study viruses. I currently am in my fourth year of my PhD at Northwestern University, and I also work as a science communicator on the side, which means I just love talking about science for fun.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, so are you originally from the Chicago area?
1: I... Tell people I'm from Iowa because I think when you just picture Iowa, it's pretty much where I was born and raised okay. uh, on a farm, is what I mean by that.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: So I'm from a small town called Orion, Illinois, but yeah, I grew up on a farm with cows and corn and moved to the big city for school just uh, four years ago.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but I saw you study at Northwestern and we're actually technically rivals because I'm a University of Illinois grad. So, <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> so but I have my experience of the Illinois cornfields because I lived in Champaign for a while. So or Urbana,
1: there's a lot of good science that came from there, but yeah, a lot of cornfields. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm glad I'm I'm not there anymore. I'm on the East Coast. I'm glad to be out of the cornfields. But I have some Illinois love, so I can appreciate it. <laughs> um, Yep, exactly. Okay, so yeah, tell us a little bit more. You mentioned you're a science communicator, I think is what you call it. So tell us a little bit more about kind of your online work and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, um, well, like I said, I'm from a small town. And so my experience was when I first got into science, I wasn't, I was more of a jock than a smart kid growing up. <laughs> and then as I started getting into science and finding it really interesting and really fascinating to learn how the world worked, I'd start sharing it with people at home. And a lot of times they'd be like, oh, it's too smart for me. And it's like, ugh, there's no way that this kid with like a 2.8 GPA coming out of high school, like, if I can understand it, you can. And so I just wanted to break it down to ways that my friends and family at home could understand it. And so, I made a show called Science with Kenan, where I just talked about any kind of topic that was interesting and relevant and people really resonated with it. And the same people that used to say like, oh, this is way too complex for me to understand started going, wow, science is really cool. And that yeah. was positive reinforcement I needed to be like, yeah, let's make everybody feel that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. And that's why you are perfect to have on the show to talk about this topic, because I know I get very confused very easily by all things science, and I think a lot of people listening can probably relate. So, so yeah, I'm excited to talk to you more, but also tell us a little bit about what you're studying, because you said you're working on your PhD right now. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your work and kind of what you're hoping to do after you finish.
1: Yeah. So currently I I said I'm a virologist. I study viruses. My undergraduate work was studying viruses spread by mosquitoes. So I worked with Zika a little bit during the, the Zika scare we had a few yeah. years back and a virus called chikungunya virus. And now I've switched away from bug-based viruses to the herpes virus. So, a little known fact of why herpes is for life is that when you get infected with, like the one that causes cold sores or even chicken pox, it gets into your nervous system. And And sometimes in kids, neonates a lot, well, not a lot. It's very rare, which is good, but it can get into the brain. And so one of my projects is understanding why some people get infections in the brain. And the other part is actually developing a vaccine candidate that will hopefully Cause herpes to no longer be a thing that we have to worry about
0: anymore. Wow, yeah, that's really interesting. I actually, I just told you I just had a baby, and so there was like a lot of talk about herpes because, from my understanding, what my doctors told me, like a lot of people don't even know they have it because it's not like what you hear about in high school necessarily, like in (laughs) sex ed, and and yeah, just how it can be really dangerous for babies. But but yeah, really interesting topics.
1: Yeah, yeah. Herpes is it's got a it's got a stigma to it and it's I guess it's actually one of the most common viruses that humans have. So this that's what I always like to throw out is something along the lines of eighty percent of all adults over the age of 30 will have herpes simplex type one, which is one that we often think about with cold sores at some uh-huh. point in their lives. Yeah Here in the United States, it's like somewhere around sixty-six percent. So two out of every three people between the ages of fourteen and forty-nine already have it. And then there's HSV-2, which is a little less common, around 20% uh, worldwide, 13% in the United States. And then chickenpox, which is great to have as a kid. I went to a chickenpox party as a kid. Really dangerous (laughs) to have as an adult. Uh, Now they have a vaccine against it. But even that vaccine latently infects you. So it's a live virus. It just doesn't make you sick, but it still hides out in your nervous system. So around like 98% of people here in the United States have chickenpox. So we always like to say everybody Mm. has at least one herpes.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so interesting. And like you said, lots of stigma and just, I mean, I feel like the whole vaccine conversation lately has a lot of like stigmas and misunderstandings and stuff. And that's really why I wanted to have you on. And, you know, you mentioned like, okay, and here's what it's like as a kid versus an adult. And I know for me, that's kind of when I became really interested in researching more on vaccines and why I wanted to talk to you because in that research, I'm like, wow, this is really confusing. <laughs> um, there's just so much out there. And yeah, like I told you, I am a mom. And that's when I really started wanting to know more about like, okay, what am I agreeing to here, you know, to to have injected into my child's body. And like, is this the right decision? And so, so I wanted to talk to you just kind of about vaccine safety in general. So let's start with that. There's been a lot of like concern lately, I mean, especially just in the last year about vaccine safety. But really, that's been a thing I feel like for several years, especially with, you know, like mommy bloggers, for lack of a better term. But (laughs) can you talk more about like vaccine safety and kind of your thoughts on the matter?
1: Yeah, uh, this is really broad, and I know we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it. So I'll try to keep it more broad. But just in general, mm-hmm. uh, vaccines are scary, mostly because it's one of the only medications that we give to completely healthy people, right? And right. you know, just any medication, there's always a risk. There's always a side effect or a list of side effects that could possibly happen. Vaccines are super mm-hmm. highly regulated, but who mm-hmm. wants to be healthy or at least yet yeah, give your healthy child a shot? knowing that there could be a side effect right and you're like well if i just don't give it then they're not going to get that be at risk of that side effect And so we never think right about the risk of what we're preventing normally we we typically think of what the risk that we're uh, exposing ourselves to which is i think where a lot of the fear and hesitancy around vaccines stem from it's like oh if i get this what could go wrong versus if i get this how am i protecting something that hasn't happened yet yeah so when it comes to vaccines uh, i mean the They've been around for over a hundred years and the evidence is just really, as a scientist and just as a person, I guess, I, I'm very comfortable with vaccines just because mm-hmm. you can you can look at the drop off of these infectious diseases that used to just kill kids and adults alike, whether we're talking about measles, polio, I mean, even further back we have smallpox, but all of these things are very, very low now. And the drop that you see correlates with when vaccines started being introduced for each of these diseases. And so we know that they protect people from from these really terrible diseases. And most of the time, 999,999 times out of a million is there's there's no adverse side effects to these. And you would just end Mm -hmm. up not having to worry about dying or your child dying from, say, whooping cough anymore. Because we have these yeah. really great preventative medications.
0: Mm-hmm. I liked what you said at the beginning of like it's the only thing we're the only medicine that we're giving to healthy people, and yeah, I think that's where a lot of concern comes from because it's like, well, I'm healthy, so why do I need this? Which <laughs> we're gonna talk more about that, like you said. But can I ask you specifically, like about the whole autism conversation? That's one thing that's been talked about in recent years and I call it rumors because to my understanding, there's not really like evidence for this, but what's your thoughts on the concern over autism and the links to vaccinations? What do you know about that?
1: Uh, It's non-existent, which seems really harsh, Uh, but (laughs) there's been a lot of research into this because it's really scary. Like I said, vaccines are actually one of the most highly regulated Uh, medications, drugs that's out there. They have to go through a lot of rigorous studies compared to say like, Uh I don't know, the Flintstone gummies, vitamins and nutrients, barely any regulation on this, any type of supplement that you're taking is not nearly as regulated. So when it came to Mm -hmm. the whole discussion about autism, this all stemmed from, unfortunately, a a poor paper that was published in the Lancet that's been retracted. Andrew Wakefield uh, was the scientist and just it was bad research done but it talked about how there could be this link between autism and vaccines and mm-hmm. uh, the media got a hold of this some people got a hold of it and started running with it and of course science isn't out here just to say oh you know let's push things on the cover science the whole point of science is to gain knowledge and so if this is true that's a huge breakthrough this guy would have been super famous and we would have had a huge breakthrough in medicine and what we needed to be looking at had it been true but instead, what happened was uh, a lot of people were really concerned because his data didn't line up with the, like I said, 100 years plus worth of, of evidence that we'd had studying people who've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of scientists took a lot of time to go in and look at this, and they couldn't reproduce his results at all. It seemed like, in fact, they found that he tampered with some of the the data that he published. And so it really came down to it was more of a lie. But that never went away. So people had a lot of fear and a lot of connections, specifically as just one vaccine actually that he talked about, which was the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine or the MMR. And mm-hmm. uh, it's been thoroughly debunked. There's there's no link between autism and vaccinations. Um, and what that means is that you are just as likely to not be vaccinated and develop autism as you are to be vaccinated and develop autism. So you can't mm-hmm. say the vaccines are causing autism. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been very, very deeply studied, which I'm, I'm great. That's the grateful for. That's the point of science is yeah. you have an observation and you look into it and you say, okay, does it actually stand up or is this just a, a fluke or, or something that's not true? And so yeah. that link has been really robustly debunked.
0: Okay. Well, that's great to know. That's comforting. <laughs> Are there any other concerns that you hear of that people are worried about like oh well if my kid gets vaccinated or you know if I get this vaccination not not talking about the COVID vaccine yet but are there any others just with like your standard vaccinations that people that you hear of people being worried about?
1: Yeah uh their, vaccine hesitancy is very common and I hear it from parents a lot. I, I'm not a parent yet, but I talk to to a lot of a lot of people who have children or who are thinking about having kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their concerns and opinions on vaccines. And I'm totally in support of asking the right questions. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a vaccine injury that occurs. That's something that you need to take into consideration. And like I had alluded to earlier, really when it comes to injury versus like the actual disease that's occurring, that's normally what you're, you're weighing your options against. And the injuries one in a million versus the disease normally happens at a lot higher rate than that. And it's normally a lot more impactful than say, most vaccine injuries are something like uh, maybe Guillain-Barre syndrome where you have a little bit of nerve damage, which I say a little bit, I'm not trying to downplay it. Uh, You can have these actual adverse effects, but a lot of times they're self-resolving. So even if you do have something, they correct themselves over time
0: Uh
1: as opposed to actually getting a disease and having long-term effects from the disease or, or dying from them. Okay. But that said, yeah, I think that those types of adverse effects are things that people are concerned about and I think the number one thing that I hear most that might have some actual validity to it uh, outside of the the autism claim that people are concerned about is the vaccine schedule that's what I hear a lot about is we're giving a lot of shots a lot of these jabs to our babies in, mm-hmm. a, in a pretty small window and is that ha- having an effect on our kids is it is it harming them
0: mm-hmm.
1: I would say there is definitely room for more research into this, but the research that is out there on that at this point, through all of the people who are vaccinated, the millions of people who are vaccinated and follow the schedule, is, is that there doesn't seem to be a link there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's nobody wants to stab your baby with a needle yeah. a lot. It's, it's just sad. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the evidence all shows that, that vaccine saves lives is what it really boils down to.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And on that note, just on the vaccine schedule note, have you heard of the Dr. Sears alternative vaccine schedule?
1: I have not heard of that one specifically. I've definitely heard of alternative schedules okay. but yeah, tell me more about it.
0: Well I it's something that I honestly need to do more research on. but it was something with my first child that I you know, I think it was the first time we went in for a vaccine shot and I I said can you like, tell me why I should get this, like essentially kind of convince me of the research kind of thing. And I'm not like an anti-vaxxer. And I should have said this at the beginning. I feel like I'm coming into this conversation with like no agenda. And I just want my listeners to know that I'm not like trying to convince everybody to get vaccinated or not to like, and I, I don't know how much you like saw on my account or anything like that, or on the other podcasts that I've done, but I'm pretty like pretty granola, I guess, for lack of a better term, I am I err on the natural side of things. But I'm also not like anti medicine, like I totally believe in, in modern medicine, like I had my babies in a hospital, like, so I'm kind of I, I could be convinced either way, you know, like, I am all about trying to go the natural route whenever possible but when medicine is needed I'm not against it so so I just say that to say like I'm not anti-vaccines I'm you know I vaccinate my children for the most part but I also believe in like asking questions and not just agreeing to whatever the doctor tells me to do like I want to do my research on the front end so I did that with my first child and they were like you know we have this alternative vaccine schedule that the shots are more spaced out but you have to come in more frequently and i think the hard thing with that is like for people that obviously we have great insurance so for me that works but for other people that schedule might not work because it means more doctor's visits whereas you could just get like all your shots at once kind of a thing so for me it's worked out for others it might not and it was something that i was like well i'm gonna really do my research on this doctor's sears schedule and figure out if it really is legit and I, two years later, I have not done that research. I keep telling myself I will, but it's just like one of those things where it's like, this is really overwhelming. Um, but so I was just wondering if you knew about that one specifically, like I said, it's just more spaced out and it's funny cause I'll, I'll go in and they'll be like, okay, we're doing all these shots today. And I'm like, oh, well I actually follow the Dr. Sears schedule and they're like, oh, okay. So what shots do you want to do today? <laughs> so for me, it's worked out, you know, I haven't had any problems with it, but I want to, know more about it so again why i'm excited to talk to you today yeah
1: i would i'd love to look more into that i am actually with this is a conversation i do have a lot with with parents is, When it comes to spacing out the vaccines, you brought up a really good point is just first of all is access and equity to getting into hospitals, Mm -hmm. right? So if if it does cost more for these visits, then that's not always available to you. And so getting all these shots at once, there's no evidence that it's it's detrimental. But for parents who are worried and who can take their kids in over a course of time, I always say uh, as long as you're getting Mm -hmm. the vaccine, which again i kind of i like your take on it i'm not here to tell anybody to get a vaccine i just i just yeah. i get joy out of spreading the knowledge that i have over nine years plus now of studying viruses and immunology right yeah and being like hey i got all this information let me help you so you can make a give it to you so you can make a good decision and so totally. i'm i'm pro-vaccine but not pro-enforcing anybody to get a vaccine just put that out um but yeah i tell parents a lot of the time is yeah, if you want to space it out, the only risk that you're really running, to the best of my knowledge, is that the longer that they're unprotected, the the bigger the window is for them to get infected with one of these things that could have been prevented by the vaccine. But if you're giving all of them and they're not being exposed to that, then sure, if that makes you feel more comfortable, they're still going to be protected at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, you feel more comfortable in the way that they were delivered that way. And sure, go
0: for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So I I guess on that note, kind of like I told you, I kind of err on the more natural side of things. And that's one thing I see a lot online people talking about, like, especially this whole like toxin free conversation, which is something I'm really passionate about. And something that I've seen, like, there's actually a lot more research coming out about like the toxins we're putting in our bodies through things like I mean, obviously, There's like cigarettes, like we've known about that for a long time. But then there's even things that people, a lot of people don't realize are harmful, like Teflon coating on our cookware or, you know, like flame retardants in our furniture and kind of things like that. And so I've seen a lot of people who are, I will say like social media influencers in like the toxin-free community that talk about like vaccines and how, you know, they're anti-vaccines because it's putting something unnatural in your body. And, you know, what are the ingredients that are in the vaccines? And I know with some of the coronavirus vaccines, for example, they have uh, the PEGs, which are considered like a toxin and i know i have a friend who actually had like an allergic reaction to those and so i don't know i guess not not just with the covid vaccine but just any vaccines what can you tell people um like about i guess just kind of if you could like putting them at ease about like there are some ingredients that are unnatural but like do the benefits outweigh the risks in your opinion or what's your advice there
1: Yeah, this is actually, out of the list of questions that you sent me, this is the one I was most excited to talk about.
0: Okay, cool. Um,
1: Yeah, uh, and the first reason for this is that uh, a lot of times I hear like this whole, like, vaccines are unnatural. Uh But I I think that that is just, if you don't understand a vaccine, you would think, like, yeah, medications are unnatural. But the thing that's really cool, and you're going to hear the nerd come out in me in this, is that vaccines actually work by a completely (laughs) natural process. So unlike, let's say... Let's talk about diabetes, right? So if you're a diabetic, your body's not producing insulin, which you need to take up uh sugar out of your out of like that's in your bloodstream, right? And so by mm-hmm. giving you insulin, we give you insulin, which is a natural hormone, but we're giving it to you in a burst. So it's not how your body would naturally release it. And what that does is it forces the cells to take up the sugar, you fix your blood sugar balance, and you're good to go. But we like force that to happen at a given point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Are you following me so far?
0: Yes. So far, yes. <laughs> okay.
1: Yep. So while insulin is great, it has saved many people's lives and is, is a great drug. Uh, it's given in what I would say is more of an unnatural version, right? You, unless you have like an insulin pump that's maybe like regulating and releasing as you need it, you take a shot uh-huh. and it, you're forced to have insulin in your system.
0: Uh-huh.
1: A vaccine works on a completely natural phenomenon. So- when you get infected, our, the way our immune systems work is that from the day that we're born, we are constantly trying to tailor our immune systems to keep bad stuff out and to not attack the good stuff that's in us. So parents, uh, through mother's milk, the breast milk, you transfer antibodies that you already have that your baby hasn't made yet. So those antibodies will course through your bo- the baby's body to protect them from things that they don't have natural protection to yet. Mm-hmm. And then say they're eating some dirt off the floor and they get a bacteria that's a nasty bacteria, well, their immune system is going to recognize that nasty bacteria. It's going to fight it off. Maybe they'll get a little cough or a little cold, but during that process on the inside, their body's recognizing what's a bad bacteria and how to fight it and make their own antibodies against it. And then they'll have memory that in the best case scenario lasts for the rest of their lives so that they don't get sick from that bacteria again. And so that's how you naturally produce antibodies. And what a vaccine does is a vaccine gives you, instead of giving you a full bacteria that can replicate inside of you and make you sick while your body's learning to fight it, it gives you a little piece of it. So something that doesn't actually have the ability to like live inside of you and do damage inside of you. Mm -hmm. And instead you just get a little piece that your body does through that exact same natural process where your immune system says, Hey. This piece doesn't belong in here. We need to get rid of it and find out how to fight it. And then it's going to attack it, break it down, make antibodies, and then have that memory that, again, in the best case scenario, you have those antibodies for life. So that's like the one-off vaccines that you get as a kid. And sometimes those antibodies, that memory doesn't last as long, and that's when you need things like boosters. But the Mm -hmm. whole process of building that is all based on your body's natural ability to do what it naturally does. So I always think of of vaccines as actually one of the only natural medications, quote unquote. It's more of a preventative treatment, but it's one of the only natural medicines that we actually have out there Mm. as as opposed to like taking ibuprofen to help with a headache where you're actually putting a chemical inside of you to take care of a process. We're actually Mm -hmm. putting something natural inside of you so that you build natural immunity and then have this natural lifelong protection, which, so that's my nerding out moment on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. I like the way that you explain that. Now, what about, cause I know there are obviously like other ingredients in a vaccine, even though it's probably really, really small amounts. Cause like, obviously when you get a shot, it's not that big, but uh, what about like the other ingredients that they'll put in vaccines? Do you know anything about that? Like, is there a concern yeah. for what else is in there?
1: Yeah. So we can talk broadly in general, and then we can talk a little bit more specifically about these, these COVID vaccines and the, the mRNA ones in particular, which I'm fairly excited about.
0: Uh-huh.
1: In broad terms, a vaccine normally has three parts to it. So you have what we're going to call your antigen. There we go. So you're going to have okay. your antigen which is the piece of the virus or bacteria that your body is going to train against so you build antibodies against an antigen and you can think of that kind of just as like a wanted poster or it's this that broke that piece and so we Mm -hmm. have different ways that we do that that we can deliver that to your body so you have an antigen you have the delivery system so whether that is are we just making bits and pieces of that antigen and putting it into you are we putting those bits and pieces inside of a bubble like we do with the mRNA? Uh, Are we just killing a virus and delivering it with like a dead virus? Mm -hmm. So you have your antigen, your delivery system, and then some vaccines, particularly the ones that just use proteins, which are the just straight antigen, they use something called an adjuvant. And so Mm -hmm. adjuvants are something that help your immune system have a stronger response because the protein on its own isn't going to give you that strong response. And typically Mm -hmm. the stronger your immune response, the longer your immunity and those antibodies and memory last. So antigen delivery system and adjuvant. So when it comes to the antigen, that's, that's as natural as it can get. That is just either the whole protein or the whole virus or the whole bacteria or a dead piece of it or the proteins from it, but it, was made the way that it would naturally come, it's just a piece from nature that's delivered to you. So antigens, natural, although you don't want them in your body because those are the part of the thing that makes you sick, right? Mm -hmm. Your delivery system also is going to come from some sort of, I'd say, quote unquote, natural. Um, So the three basic types of vaccines that we have are you have live attenuated vaccines, which are an actual live Pathogen, be that virus or bacteria, that's weakened so it doesn't make you sick. So an example of this is the chickenpox vaccine. It's a live chickenpox virus that's just been we've broken down its DNA so that it doesn't have the ability to give you chickenpox.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the nice thing about a live virus is that once it gets into you, since it's alive, you're going to get a pretty good immune response against it. So normally, live attenuated vaccines don't need adjuvants. Then you have inactivated vaccines, which are you take the virus and then you kill it, so it can't do anything inside of you it's just a dead body floating around and then your immune system recognizes that those can be less effective at stimulating your immune system so sometimes they need to be adjuvanted and then the third version is what we call protein subunit and so this is where we just take one or two proteins from the virus and express those or give them to you and since it's not the whole virus it's not replicating actively inside of you it typically elicits less of a good immune response and so those are the ones that we most often you add these adjuvants and so these adjuvants then are going to be the what people think is like the unnatural portion of this so they're not something that would naturally come with this and these are things like sometimes we use salts aluminum salts so when you hear people talking about aluminum Uh, sometimes we use natural things like toxins that come from a plant or something like that. And what they do is essentially they're just in really small amounts, but they agitate you and that agitation makes your immune system go, whoa, 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 this is way worse than just a couple proteins. Let's send more immune cells to go to the spot. And that helps you have a bigger immune response.
0: Hmm. Now,
1: what I would like to say about that is that you hit this on the head pretty early on is that they're in very small concentrations. And so normally when we talk about toxicity, we're talking about either bioaccumulation, which means that you have something that doesn't leave your system. And so the more of it you take on, you're gonna get larger amounts of it. And essentially you have to hit a threshold. Uh, There's a certain concentration where it's actually toxic. Otherwise our bodies have kidneys and livers that are really good at detoxifying our bodies naturally and getting rid of those things. Mm -hmm. And so, all of the amounts that you're going to get into a vaccine are at on the nano micro pico scale just teeny tiny 0. .0001 or 0. .01 grams of this, just so small that they have at those levels and those concentrations, even with all the vaccines that you get, they don't amount up to something that would even be close to being at the, what we call a toxic level. So that adds Mm -hmm. to why I'm comfortable in vaccines and the science behind it. I know one of the other things that people get worried about is mercury. Yeah, And when it comes to mercury, that's actually not an adjuvant. We use that as a antimicrobial. So it's Mm -hmm. used to keep vaccines from getting infected with, say, a bacteria or something like that, so that when you get the vaccine, we're not giving you some sort of pathogen. So it keeps them clean, mm-hmm. essentially. And we talked about autism earlier, the MMR vaccine. First, they said that that caused autism. Then once we sort of debunked that, people kind of shifted and said, well, mercury's causing it. We need to get rid of mercury. Uh, mercury is causing autism. And so actually here in the United States, there's only one vaccine that still has mercury in it. And that's the multi-dose flu which most flu shots that you get are single dose multi-dose just means that it's a vial that you can get like 10 flu shots out of Hmm. and so there's still mercury in there because each time you stick a needle in there the needle's coming from outside and going in you're poking a hole you're running a risk that you're taking germs from outside and putting them in there and you you don't want to contaminate the whole thing okay but yeah aside from that there's no mercury in any other of the vaccines that that we're delivering we've taken it all out okay and autism stays the same which is again evidence that mercury is not the cause of autism sure yeah but yeah that mercury again uh, this is one of my fun facts is the the amount of mercury that's in the vial first of all is very small and then you also have to like divide that by 10 because there's 10 shots so if you're taking that out you're getting a tenth of the mercury that is in that entire vial And that is less mercury than you would get just by consuming one can of canned tuna. So uh, big fish have a lot – high levels of mercury or can Mm -hmm. possess high levels of mercury, which is why you just had a kid, I'm sure. Did they tell you like stay away from raw fish? There's certain things that you're supposed to stay away from as a pregnant
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And even I like – I eat mostly plant-based, but I do really like tuna. And that was something I could stomach during pregnancy. But And they even sell like – Cans that say pregnancy safe or whatever, like very low levels of mercury or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And that, that's why, is, uh, actually, so life is just a miracle in itself. But one of the things that happens is you, as you're growing a whole nother individual inside of you, you redirect a lot of your energy and nutrients into there. And uh-huh. so that bioaccumulation can actually happen. And so if you're eating these fish that have normally you would eat this mercury and it would get filtered through you in some way or another. But, uh, it actually, since you have another life that's there, it becomes like the sink for nutrients. And so that mercury instead of being filtered out of your body actually goes to the fetus and that can actually have effects on them developing, which is why they say not to do it. But I think that's, that's kind of interesting in terms of like, okay, well, there's a lot of mercury in fish, but there's not enough that we know that we can give pregnant women vaccines still. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be at a level, even though that's not even an issue here in the United States anymore, because as I said, we've taken it out of all of our vaccines right. with the exception of that
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and that's just general, general vaccines. When it comes to the mRNA vaccines, I was talking about how I was really excited about these because you talk about the polyethylene glycol, the PEG,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: people do have allergies to that. It's in mm-hmm. a lot of things. It's it's in yeah. a lot of, like, cosmetics, shampoos and things like that. And if you have an allergy, yeah. for sure, you, you'd be aware of it just through the way that you're using it um, or consuming it through processed foods. But yeah. it, all that really is is it's a fat. And so these mRNA vaccines don't have any adjuvants in them at all, which is if you're worried about that, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really amazing. Uh, they're really just made up of a piece of mRNA which is just a set of instructions that'll tell your cells how to make that protein. So instead of giving you the protein, remember I talked about that protein subunit and like how it doesn't have a very strong effect on your immune system. Mm -hmm. So instead of giving you just that protein that maybe would need an adjuvant, instead we give you the instructions. So your cell will make that one protein, which is kind of like a fake infection instead of the cell making a whole virus. So it's just making that one piece of protein. So you get this nice immune response. And then that instruction is housed inside a bubble of fats, which is the peg, uh, cholesterol, and like a few proprietary, I think there's two proprietary fats that they also include in there. And that just makes a little bubble so that the mRNA can make it to your cell and doesn't get destroyed before it gets there. And then the rest of it is this sugar and salt water, and that's just as a buffer so that it has a liquid to be injected into you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's none of those other like crazy aluminums or plant toxins or anything like that that's like added to it. It's literally just instruction, fat bubble, and sugar water.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's definitely comforting. And like I said, my friend that had the allergic reaction when she got her COVID vaccine – It was, uh, she broke out in hives, it wasn't like like her throat didn't close up or anything. Um, But they told her it's to the, she had like an allergy test done and it was to the pigs, I think is what you called them. And I was like, honestly, that's probably really good for you to know, because I do know that that's in so many things, like you said, like cosmetics and whatnot. And so I was like, that probably has answered a lot of questions for you. Like if you've ever had like a rash or anything like that, like now you know that you probably should avoid those in your cosmetics. So, but yeah, I think what you shared about like how all of these things are like in really small amounts anyways. So if you were worried about like the toxic exposure, I think if you're someone who is concerned about this, if you're already being mindful about, you know, the toxins that you're consuming in your everyday life, it's probably something where it's like, you know, your body can handle it because it is such a small amount and you're already eliminating them in other areas of your life. So that was something that was comforting to me with getting the COVID vaccine.
1: Yeah, that's really that's a really nice take on it. Yeah, like.
0: Yeah, totally. Um. So, what about uh, just kind of talking again about like if you're someone who's on the more natural side, is there such a thing of being over vaccinated? Is that a valid concern? Like, do you think we can rely too much on medicine?
1: I think to me, those are two different questions and that okay. that might be just because i i again i don't think of vaccines as medications they're they're preventative right. treatment and so i don't think if you're getting vaccines i guess personally if there was a vaccine that they had against every disease i would i would get them I would be in the studies to okay. make sure that getting that number of vaccines was safe for humans. But also if, uh-huh. I, like, if I was like, oh, I can get a vaccine and it's going to prevent me from getting cancer or Alzheimer's or having a neuromuscular degenerative disorder or getting sick from E. coli infection from eating an old piece of chicken or something like that. I would, I'm would. i all for that. And again, this stems from the way that vaccines work is it's it's doing what your body naturally does. So you are naturally vaccinated against a ton of things in that you have experienced or encountered in your lifetime just growing up. So we don't have vaccines against every single thing that can make you sick, but you have antibodies in your body against a lot of things that make you sick. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's a nat- very natural process. Um, and so that's why when I think of it, I was like, yeah, there's no question if it's a vaccine. I know how they're made. I know how they're developed. I know how it works. Stick it in me normally the worst case scenario for a vaccine normally is that it just doesn't work. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm not protected against this. Yeah. So, so I, in terms of over vaccinated being a concern, that is not one that I am particularly concerned about, but when you talk about an overuse of medication, so medications are typically mm-hmm. something that you're going to use to treat a condition. And so I actually fall into the same boat as you where I don't like taking medications uh, unless I actually have something that I'm having a problem with. Medication definitely has its its point, right? If I have cancer, I can't just will away my cancer. I can't take some herbal green teas and it's going to get rid of it. I probably need a procedure to remove that tumor. Take some chemo to make sure that all those cells die. But mm-hmm. that said, we can do a lot of things. On the preventative side, sort of like a vaccine, in maintaining our diet and our exercise routines and things that help keep our bodies in top condition, so that if we do get sick, we can fight them off without needing to go to the hospital or take medications for it or prevent us from even Mm -hmm. getting sick in the first place. We we don't recognize it. So I'm a huge proponent of that Mm -hmm. and only Mm -hmm. taking medicine really as a treatment for something that you're not having the ability to to fix on your own or if it's if it's detrimental. Like I take ibuprofen. I'm not over here like, oh, I never take medicines. Uh, I just got yeah. my second dose of the vaccine not too long ago and had really bad myalgia. Aches and pains all over my body. I felt like I had done like a two a days, but like seven of them. And so I took some ibuprofen for that and it helped. I felt a lot better, I was able to go to work. So, But I'm not taking ibuprofen every single day right. unless I needed to.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, that makes sense that those are like two different conversations. So, and I think that kind of relates to my next question for you. So I have a friend who works at the hospital here where I live and she calls it like big medicine. Like I think just how obviously the medical industry is an industry and there's lots of money in it and same with like the pharmaceutical industry. And so I think I know even for me, I think there's some element of like distrust in that in like, okay, is this really to my benefit? Or is it because someone wants money out of it, you know, and I think that's part of the the hesitancy with vaccines even is like, a lot of times it's pharmaceutical companies that are developing these like Pfizer. And so like, how do we know this is really what's right for us. And it's not just because someone wants money. So is there anything you can say about that to put people at ease?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I also agree with you. I think pharmacy is a very big pharma, as we'd say, is about yeah. money. It's not about people. right? I think, and this is always becomes like a point of contention or a little bit of dichotomy. And so what I, what I would say to people is to trust the scientists, not the pharmacy companies. So, the pharmacy mm-hmm. companies are going to release their press releases that might sound a little bit more fluffy. And their bottom goal is to make money. I mean, think of what happened when EpiPens became monopolized, and all of a sudden there was like a 500% increase in the price of a life saving medication. That's not about yeah. people, that's putting profit over people, not people over profit. And right, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I am with you where I think that the pharmacy industry in itself is based on a poor model. Uh-huh. That said, though, the scientists that actually are going into developing these drugs, especially when you have these things like vaccines, which aren't being developed directly by these pharmaceutical companies, but by scientists that then go and work with, in conjunction with the, the pharmaceutical companies. Like Pfizer worked with a company called BioInTech, which was a startup started by scientists who are out there trying to make vaccines to help save people. Mm-hmm. And so, when it comes to trusting the scientists, who I think my favorite part about all of this with the COVID vaccine was that everything has been super transparent. And so, I sat down and I actually watched the 6-hour discussions at the external panels that recommend to the FDA for these drugs or these vaccines. They say, "Hey, this is the science. This is where it's good. This is where it's not so good." Uh, we'd recommend it as it is, or we'd recommend it if maybe they provide a little bit more information about this. And so that's not, none of those people work for the pharmaceutical industry. They're independent scientists who take pride, A, in the fact that they have PhDs and that means something. And so they don't want to just start saying stuff that's not accurate because that's going to take away from them Mm -hmm. and they owe nothing to these companies. And B is that they've spent their lives researching these things. So they know more than I do. Again, I'm nine years deep, but I know way less than, say, my boss, who is 20-some, going on 30 years worth of of experience researching viruses and working with vaccines. Mm-hmm. And so these people who don't have an agenda and are just here to be trustworthy, good scientists have reviewed these things. And those are the people that I trust. So yeah. it's not the press releases from the pharmaceutical companies, but it's the actual trustworthy scientists that come out and uh, verify this. And that's what gives me the confidence. It gave me the confidence to go and get my, my shot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Okay. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the flu shot. I mean, I know you have just spent a lot of time, you know, kind of easing people's minds about vaccine safety. But I feel like the flu shot is one where a lot of people are like, oh, man, I don't believe in the flu shot. Like, it doesn't work. You know, I got it one year and then I still got sick or it's different every year. I don't know. There's a lot of people even in the medical community. Like I have friends that are nurses that they have to get the flu vaccine, but they're like, I, I don't really put a whole lot of stock in it, even as a <laughs> medical professional. So what, what's your thoughts on the flu vaccine?
1: Yeah, that's a whole can of worms. Flu is actually one of the scariest viruses, in my opinion. Um, And that's because the virus itself mutates really, really quickly. Uh So there are constantly new flu viruses that are popping up. And the way that our flu vaccine works is essentially our flu season is counter to the southern hemisphere's flu season. So when we have summer, they're in winter and vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah. So when they're in their flu season, what we do is we track who's getting flu, what the ty- the strains, the types of flu that are going along, along around there. And there's dozens of different flus that are going along. Our flu vaccine protects against three to four, depending upon which one you get, the tri or quad valent. Uh-huh. And so essentially what really smart epidemiologists do is they study what's going on down there. And it takes a couple months for us to be able to scale up to have enough flu vaccines. So we have to predict pretty early. And they go, okay, their flu season looks like they're getting hit by these strains. These ones look like they're the most dangerous or the one that are making people the most sick. These seem to be the most contagious. Let's develop our vaccines with these four out of the 12 that are running around. And that's what we're gonna Mm -hmm. make our vaccines against. And so normally on a good flu season, the flu shot is preventative, predictive, it's about 30%, which as a as a scientist, I'll say that's, that's a pretty low number. But mm-hmm. it's really hard because during that time while we're making the vaccine, right, the flu virus is still mutating. Every time it's in a new person, it's undergoing mutations, it's picking up different changes that help it to escape mm-hmm. because the virus's job is to make more virus and you do that by not getting caught by the immune system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in that regard, I would say in general, yeah, flu shot, hit or miss. (laughs) But (laughs) there's a caveat to that, which uh, is why I get my seasonal flu shot, aside from the fact that I also work at a hospital. And that is, uh, it does two different things for you. So first of all, is if you do happen to be exposed to one of those flu viruses that the vaccine is made for, you got a pretty good chance of being protected against that. And so If you can have a little bit of protection versus no protection, a a little bit seems decent to me. Uh So that's, that's number one. Number two is that the virus isn't completely changing into a completely different virus. And so even though you may get infected with a flu virus that isn't the exact one that you're protected against, from the vaccine, it can still offer a little bit of what we call cross protection or cross reactivity. And so maybe instead of you being sick for a week and just being really down and out, I've had really bad flu Mm -hmm. twice in my life and it is terrible, way different than when I'm like, oh, I'm sick at home with the man flu. Uh, The real (laughs) real flu is really bad. And so like if you have some cross reactivity, you might get sick still. I mean, I might still have a headache and be like, oh, I can't go into work uh, because I'm a whip.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's going
1: to be, I'm going to mm-hmm. be less sick than if I had no protection at all. And so those two things are kind of yeah. the reason that I just make the choice myself personally to get the flu shot each year is like, eh, you know, I really don't know, but total to some protection is is better than just like not having any protection at all. It's like people who wear helmets still sure. die in accidents, but also a helmet provides you more protection than having no helmet at all.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Okay, cool. No, that's good to know. And I'm glad you told me because my son had his like two year checkup the other day. So we were talking to our pediatrician and he was like, by the way, I really would advise getting the flu vaccine this year, which I mean, they always say, but he was like, just because with the pandemic and with people, people are getting vaccinated, meaning more people are out there not wearing their masks and are taking less precautions so he was like i kind of expect it to be a bad flu season so i was like okay Uh, so interesting take on it but yeah okay so last but not least just as we're talking about vaccine safety in general you said that you recommend you know that people do ask questions before they just get a shot of whatever um so what questions do you recommend asking like especially for parents for me, it's like literally before you even leave the hospital with your baby, they're like, and are you getting this shot today? I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know. I haven't done my research on that. So what questions do you recommend people ask before they get a vaccine or before their kids get a vaccine or like what research do you recommend they do?
1: Yeah. Again, I think this in general, if you're doing your own research, this comes down to that that risk cost risk analysis. And so the best thing to uh-huh. look at if you're really choosing whether or not you want to get the vaccine, any vaccine or not, is to research what the disease is and what the the outcomes of actually getting that disease are. So you actually understand what the risk and what you're trying to protect against are. Uh-huh. Look at, and now this takes a little bit more, but this is why we call it doing your research, is you have to put in a little bit of work for it, is look at the, the prevalence. So like how common was it before we had the vaccine versus how well is the vaccine actually protecting against it, right? You don't just want to look like, oh, is there a hundred cases that popped up this year that just tells you that some people are still getting it, maybe even if they were vaccinated, but before the vaccine were there like a hundred thousand cases, right? So now it's, you understand what you're trying to protect against and giving yourself confidence that it has effectiveness to it. And then I would ask or, or look up what are the, the side effects, what are the, the adverse reactions that you could po- possibly get, and how often do those happen? And then mm-hmm. that's, that's what you weigh, right? It's, it just becomes, what am I preventing myself or my child from getting? And is it actually useful for them to get that? And then on the flip side, what is the actual risk of something bad happening from this? And then the last thing, which I'd mm-hmm. say is most important, doing your own research is, is nice. You can learn some from it less so than if you dedicated your life to really understanding all of this, but you at least get like some comfortability with it. And so that's why I said the most important thing is especially for vaccinating your children is having a really good connection with your pediatrician. And so having a pediatrician Mm -hmm. who you can sit and feel comfortable, just asking any question that comes to mind and talking, talking through and who even allows you to have time and doesn't judge you for if you want to, say, have an extended vaccination schedule, or if you want to think on it for a week or so before you get your child vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I think just being able to have that comfortability and that trust in your physician yeah. is they're going to be your closest link to somebody who has a lot of education and research on these. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't be in everybody's home, so yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, the best thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we touched on this earlier, but that is another thing where it's really unfortunate. And this is true of like every aspect of medicine is just like the access to that is, you know, it's hard to find a pediatrician who or even a doctor, and I'm sure you know this too. It's hard to find a doctor who you have who will give you the time of day a lot of times. Like they're oftentimes very rushed. And so that it really is a privilege to find a pediatrician or a doctor who will give you that time. So, if you have the ability to shop around for a pediatrician you really love, do it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that not everybody has that, but that is that big medicine that we talked about earlier, unfortunately.
1: That is very true. Yes. Well, doctors, I have a great respect for them. The industry of medicine, it's still uh, about money. So, they have less time to interact with their patients, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But they're priorities are still to treat patients, yeah. so they have your health at interest.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And another cool thing that's come around with social media and things like that is that now a lot of doctors and, and scientists are more accessible too. So it doesn't totally. hurt if you do have more questions, just to reach out and DM some random physicians that are out there. <laughs> Look for consensus, I say, uh, when yeah. you're on the internet, you, you never know exactly who you're going to get. So if you can get a few answers that overlap, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. very true. Good advice. Okay, if you're like me, your head may be spinning with all the new information you just learned. I'm pretty privileged in that I have to listen to these episodes multiple times over for the editing process, and I swear I pick up something new every time I listen. So I highly recommend going back and listening a second time because it will help you to process this information even more. I loved hearing Kenan's take on why he considers vaccines to be a natural way of protecting ourselves and how we can stop viewing them as medication, and also how we can trust the science behind them over the pharmaceutical companies and their somewhat shady practices. This was so informative for me and gave me great peace of mind with a lot of medical decisions that I have to make, not just for myself, but for my kids also. And it also gave me great questions to ask and ideas of what to research for when I am hesitant and when I need to talk to my provider. I hope you feel empowered with this knowledge also, and make sure you mark your calendar to tune back in for part two next week, where we'll be talking specifically about the COVID vaccines. Kenan is teaching us about how the vaccines work, what they actually protect us against, and addressing a lot of the common concerns he hears, like can the vaccines change our DNA or cause infertility? We'll be back to talk on that next week. This was another really great conversation that gave me a lot of hope and I think you will feel the same way after you listen. So make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you get notified when part two is available next Thursday. Subscribing is easy. Just click the subscribe button next to the name of the show and you're done. And also don't forget about leaving a rating and a review as well and connecting with me and Kenan. The links to connect with us as well as to shop goods and better can be found in the show notes wherever you're listening or on my website, HeartfeltHippy.com. Until next week, remember to find sources you trust that you can ask the right questions to, think about comparing the risks and the benefits of vaccines, and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out!